Welcome into Locked On Blackhawks for Thursday, October 10th, 2019. And you know what that means. The Blackhawks home opener is today. The real schedule actually begins. They got seven games coming up here in the next couple of weeks. The tease of Prague is over. The puck is ready to drop, and I cannot wait. I know you guys can't wait either, so thanks for tuning in. Before we get started, a couple things to tell you about how to get in touch with us. Follow the show on Twitter, at LO underscore Blackhawks. Send me an email, LockedOnBlackhawks at gmail.com. Leave me a voicemail, 708-653-0572. A lot to talk about on this show. The Blackhawks did have practice on Wednesday, so there's some news out of practice, some interesting quotes from Jeremy Cowton about Eric Gustafson. We're going to get to that first, but a couple other things I want to get out of the way. We're going to talk to NHL Network analyst Kevin Weeks, who spent about 18 minutes talking hockey with me on Wednesday afternoon. Really generous with his time. Really, really great analysis on the Blackhawks and the league. He delved into some of the Sharks' early struggles as well, which we'll visit in the second segment. Um, But again, follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks and leave us those voicemails 708-653-0572. Obviously, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast, you will find Lockdown Blackhawks. And again, tell a friend. We need you to tell friends that we're out here so they can find us and we can find them and everybody's happy. All right, so let's get right to it. Not a huge newsworthy practice on Wednesday. The lines were unchanged. It very much looks like Connor Murphy will be in the lineup paired with Slater Cuckoo. We sort of alluded to that earlier this week. Seems to be all but confirmed on Wednesday. Jeremy Cotton wouldn't go as far as to say, yes, Connor Murphy's playing, but it looks like he's in the plans. He was there in practice today, and it looks like he's close. Calvin Hahn, probably not. No update really on Kirby Dock at all, which I don't know if that's good news or bad news, but if it's me, I'd want an update every day. If I was out there, and I I can't be because the practice happens when I'm producing my show on 670 The Score, um, I'd ask about Kirby Doc every day. I want an update every day until he's on the ice playing. That's just me. Maybe I'm more into that story than other people are. But, man, to me, that is the most important story coming out of practice every day. So I want to get to the Eric Gustafson conversation. Now, last year, Gustafson had a 60-point season. There's no doubting his ability to play offensively. He is a dynamic offensive talent. When he was put on the top power play unit full-time, that's when things really started to change and click for the Blackhawks power play. That's when things started to get... You would actually say they had a good power play, not even an average power play, but a good, effective power play when Gustafson got some permanent time up there in the first unit. But the problem has been his defensive play. And Jeremy Cowton... Uh, at practice on Wednesday, started talking about how Gustafson would be used. And you know what? I'm just going to play you the audio. I want you to take a listen. This audio, courtesy of ChicagoBlackhawks.com. You know, we, we want to use him in offensive situations, uh, offensive zone faceoffs. Certainly he'll continue to get his power play time. The thing about Gus, though, he, he can be good defensively. He just has to commit to it. And, and when he's engaged and, and keeping his shifts uh, shorter, it's much easier for him to uh, play at high level away from the puck. So um, that's what we expect. Now that's about as close to a call-out as I've heard from Jeremy Cowton. And I'm not saying that he was ripping Eric Gustafson. I think that's a truthful breakdown of the kind of play Eric Gustafson brings to the Blackhawks. He is not 
he has not been reliable defensively over long stretches. There have been times where he's looked okay and he's looked capable. You're hearing, though, on the eve of game two of the season, the head coach flat out saying he can be better and we expect him to be better. That, to me, is something. That, to me, is newsworthy. And that might slip through the cracks of the local media because, A, Eric Gustafson is not a household name. B, the Blackhawks are not a huge story right now in town with the Cubs looking for a manager and the Bears underperforming. The Hawks are sort of the third story or the fourth story. So this this will not get a lot of coverage, but I think it deserves it. You've got a guy who is an unrestricted free agent coming up. You have Adam Boquist waiting in the wings. Do the Blackhawks want to commit long-term money to Eric Gustafson? It seems like they'd pro- if he has another season like last year, they might be willing. But if he's... See, what bugged me about what Cowton said is the word commit. If he wants to commit to it, that's telling me that at least in Jeremy Cowton's eyes, Eric Gustafson is choosing not to focus on his defensive responsibilities. And... On Wednesday's show, we talked about players' ability. When We were talking about Dylan Strom. And do you have the ability in a shift to say, I got to keep the shift short? Or are you just sort of reacting in real time to what's happening and doing the best you can? I think probably somewhere in the middle, right? But Gustafson needs to, he's hearing it from his head coach. He needs to, I'm using quotes, commit to the defensive game. Cowton believes he has it in him. For a head coach, again, before game two of the season, to offer that unprovoked to the media. They asked about his usage. Cowton responded and then said, by the way, he can play defense if he commits. That, to me, is very noteworthy. And it's worth covering and it's worth talking about and it's worth keeping an eye on. Because if they can get replacement-level defense from Eric Gustafson this season with the addition of Calvin DeHaan and with the addition of Olimata and maybe with the addition of Adam Boquist, all of a sudden, your defense doesn't look so bad. But if you've got an aging Brent Seabrook, who you don't totally trust offensively anymore, and as the season goes on and he gets more banged up, it will probably get worse and worse. An aging Duncan Keith and an accident-prone Eric Gustafson, that's three of your top four guys that are unreliable, right? They need... Gustafson to tighten these things up and and I think it's actually sort of encouraging to hear from Jeremy Cowton's mouth that he believes he's capable if he did not feel that he wouldn't have presented it he wouldn't have said it he's not saying that as a attaboy you know you're really trying out there you're really doing the best you can Cowton clearly doesn't believe that Gustafson is doing the best he can defensively and He says, look, if he does, if he does commit, again, there's that word, commit, then he's capable of playing good defense. I'll believe it when I see it, but it's good to know that the head coach of his team, of the Chicago Blackhawks, Eric Gustafson's head coach, feels he is capable of playing quality defense, but it's up to Eric Gustafson to convince me and to convince Blackhawks fans, and most importantly, Stan Bowman, if he wants another contract. Is there anything better than a night out seeing your favorite band or sports team? Whether it's a concert or game, nothing beats being there when it's happening in person. Vivid Seats is the place for tickets to all the live events you want to see. You can sort by price or cherry pick the exact seats you want in the section or row of your choice, 
all in the Vivid Seats app. Vivid Seats has a new loyalty program as well. It's called Vivid Seats Rewards. With Vivid Seats Rewards, you can attend the concert or the game or the show you want and earn credits towards the next live event on your radar. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Fans are automatically enrolled in the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer's guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater shows and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app. Join the Vivid Seats Rewards loyalty program today. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let the Vivid Seats app help you get to your favorite live event. Enter promo code POSTSEASON at checkout to receive a discount of up to $100. The Blackhawks begin their home season tonight against the San Jose Sharks, who have found themselves off to an 0-4 start this season. They've got a pair of losses to the Vegas Golden Knights, they've lost to the Nashville Predators, and they've lost to the Anaheim Ducks. Later in the show, you'll hear from NHL Network's Kevin Weeks. He will break down what he thinks is wrong with the Sharks, but I decided it might be worthwhile digging into the numbers. Do the Blackhawks have an easy matchup ahead of themselves as the Sharks come to town? And I look, the teams they've lost to aside from Anaheim, and really we don't know much about anybody just yet, uh, are pretty good. Las Vegas looks like one of the better teams in the league. Um, Nashville is always one of the favorites in the West, so they've lost some some games to good teams, and that's an important thing to remember. Looking into the numbers here, when you look at their possession rates, their Corsi 4 percentage is 51.49, so over 50%, that's good. Their Fenwick is 50%. By the way, if you don't know what Corsi and Fenwick are, I'll explain it. Corsi counts shot attempts. So shots on goal, shots that miss the net, shots that are blocked. Okay, so if your Corsi rating is like the Sharks, 51.49, the Sharks have 173 shot attempts for, 163 shot attempts against. So that's why their percentage is 51.49. Okay, Fenwick is the same thing except it takes away block shots. The NHL actually calls Fenwick USAT unblocked shot attempts. Okay, so that's the difference. So in Fenwick for the Sharks, it's 131 both ways for a perfect 50% Fenwick percentage. Okay, so ideally, you want to be over 50%. Anything over 51, 52% is considered, uh, I wouldn't say domination, but you have a strong edge in play. The best team this year so far in Corsi, for the record, is the Washington Capitals. They have a 59 Corsi percentage. That's highest in the league. The lowest goes to, surprisingly, the Tampa Bay Lightning at 40%. They got absolutely dominated by the Carolina Hurricanes the other night. It was unbelievable. The second worst team in the league, it's only one game, but the Chicago Blackhawks at 42%. Anyway, looking at the Sharks' numbers here, it's easy to say 0-4, they suck. They're not going to be any good this year. A couple other things I want to point out. They've had 27 high-danger scoring chances this year. That means chances to score that are deemed a really quality chance to go in. They've only converted one of those. That's a really low rate of converting on high-danger chances. They also have a really low shooting percentage. When you look at shooting percentage throughout the league, the Sharks are fourth worst with 4.30% shooting percentage. So when you look at these sort of things, the record probably isn't telling the whole story. The Sharks are probably a little bit better than... Their, than their record shows. So to expect the Blackhawks to come in and just sort of skate circles around the San Jose Sharks, 
I wouldn't expect that. Here's the other. There's two other factors to consider. It's extremely likely that Patrick Marlowe, who the Sharks signed earlier this week, will make his Sharks debut tonight against the Blackhawks. Those sort of things have a way of firing up a team. An 0-4 start also has a way of firing up a team. You're going to have the Blackhawks distracted by home opener festivities, lots of ticket requests, the pregame red carpet event. There's a lot of things that can get the Blackhawks' minds off the game. That's cause for concern for me. The combination of the 0-4 San Jose start, the addition of Patrick Marlowe, the Hungry Sharks, and the potentially distracted Blackhawks, it's not going to be the cakewalk it looks like when you see an 0-4 team coming into the United Center. It is Locked On Blackhawks. Jay Zawoski with you here. Joining me now is Kevin Weeks of NHL Network. You can catch him on NHL Tonight before and after games throughout the season. Visit NHLnetwork.com for your local channel listings. He's played 11 seasons in the NHL, 348 games. And Kevin, first of all, thanks for joining us. We have a lot of goaltender questions in Chicago this year, so I hope uh, you've got some answers on how to split the load between two really, really good goalies. Well, thanks a lot. I think a lot of that will, uh, thanks for the intro. I think a lot of that hinges on health, really. I think it'll hinge on the health of uh, Corey Crawford, Crow, as he's especially known. And nice to see him healthy and back. That's the most important thing. And then uh, the acquisition of Robin Leonard, which should uh, really serve to bolster the position, not that they needed it uh, in the event that Corey Crawford is healthy. But um, nonetheless, they've got a great one-two goalies. Robin Leonard's coming off of an outstanding season with the Islanders last year. A tremendous human story off the ice and an even greater story as well on the ice too. So he comes in to really solidify the position. Uh, and I think from that standpoint, they're stocked in net. So as long as those guys both play the way they're capable of playing, I've really been a longtime advocate of Corey Crawford. And I've known Robin Leonard since he was drafted by the Senators. And, you know, started playing left Sweden and came to play junior hockey in Sault Ste. Marie in the OHL. So I've kind of been aware of him. He's been on the radar. My old my old goalie partner, Henrik Lundqvist, a guy you may have heard about. He, uh, Robin Leonard's dad was his goalie coach growing up in Sweden. So I've been hearing about him since he was 13. So I think the Hawks are set in net where that's concerned. As far as the workload, again, I think that'll, that'll be pending on, on health. But I wouldn't be surprised to see it be you know, 45 games, 35 games or, you know, 50 games, 32 starts for, for Leonard type thing. Uh, that's a good problem to have if you're the Hawks. Not as much for the goalies because, you know, good goalies like to play as often as possible, but nonetheless. And then you also have Colin Delia, who I think is really good. I think he's proven to me that he has the skills to play. He's got a great attitude. I had a chance to speak to him last year during the Winter Classic at Notre Dame so and at Madison Square Garden when they were here against the Rangers. So I think that that's a position of strength for the Hawks. They've got a lot of depth. And as I said, that's a great problem to have. And uh, their goalie coach, Jimmy Wade, uh, in addition to head coach, I think they're in a good spot right now with the goalies that they have and the depth at that position. Well, this is the first time the Blackhawks have really had two goalies that you could probably say are equal. I guess you give the edge to Corey Crawford just based on postseason success, games played, etc. But goalies are creatures of habit. That's sort of the stereotype around goalies. They sort of like to know their schedule, have it set. Could there be some sort of, I don't want to say a problem, but will it be a challenge for Robin Leonard if indeed he does play only, you know, 32 of the 82 games? Is that going to be an adjustment for him or, or are goalies, uh, and it, you seem to know Robin pretty well, you think that's something he'll be able to handle pretty easily? I think it'll be a bit of a challenge, but the key is transparency 
and respect of both goalies and communication and open and honest communication. And, you know, I'm sure uh, with young new head coach, Jeremy Colton, I think they're definitely going to have that. He's a communicator. He's a relationship guy. I, I know that they had that in Coach Q, who's in Florida now. And, you know, what I got to say, I think that's, that's really the key is have that transparency, have the respect, have the honesty. You know, one thing about players in the, in the business is guys can smell out. They can smell out when people are what I like to say squiggly. So mm-hmm. if a coach is being squiggly and he's not being transparent, players can smell that out. But if you're respectful and you say, hey, Robin, here's the situation. Hey, Crow, here's the situation. Here's how we're approaching the season, all things being equal. And then having the respect throughout the course of the season, whether it's pulling them aside you know, during practice when guys are skating around, hey, man, that one wasn't on you last night. You made some key saves. You kept us in the game. Sometimes it's on the plane post-game. Hey, you know what? That was a tough one. Get back to work tomorrow. We're behind you. Whatever it is. But that's a big part of it. I feel like a lot of people, you know, the longest kind of moniker really in in the stereotype around goalies is that goalies are odd or weird. And you must be to play the position, (laughs) sure, to get people shooting pucks at you. But as far as the human piece, a lot of it is in how coaches manage it and how the goalie coach, and I know Jimmy Wiggs, excellent, as Steph Wiggs was there before. He'll be a good bridge between, you know, the head coach and the coaching staff and the goalies. And that's something that can, can maybe ease some of that for Robin Leonard and or for Crow uh, as the season starts and as it goes along. Well, I want to get back to Jeremy Cotton a little bit because you mentioned how good of a communicator is. I think it's hard for uh, Blackhawks fans and, and people that cover the team like I do we don't really have much of a feel for him just yet. You cover every game every night for NHL Network. What is sort of the national perspective of Jeremy Cowton? What what is what has he proven to you in his short tenure as as Blackhawks coach? And, and what do you hear from players around the league and, and maybe guys on the Blackhawks about how he how his tenure has started in Chicago? Well, here, here's the way I'd frame it best. I think everybody has a day one and everybody has a year one. And I remember growing up in Toronto and watching Joel Quenville play for the Leafs yeah. and you know and watching him as a young kid I didn't necessarily foresee as a kid right just imagine my perspective but I had his hockey cards back in my parents basement in Toronto in my collection I didn't necessarily foresee that Coach Q was going to become Coach Q you know what I mean or Joel Quenville was going to become second winning us all time uh, to only Scotty Bowman in 102 years of NHL hockey history in terms of wins so you know it just goes to show um, I had Paul Maurice I Paul Maurice coached against me in the OHL. Uh, he was with the Detroit Junior Wings at the time, which were owned by Mr. Carmanos, and you know kind of how that went. Then he too went to Hartford and became youngest NHL head coach at 28 years old at the time, I believe. And we had him in Carolina, and he helped us get to a Stanley Cup final. We didn't win that year, but for me, he's the best coach that I've ever had at the NHL level as far as a head coach. And I think my big thing with Jeremy is, you know, I spoke to him at the United Center a couple of years ago, in and around training camp. And I was really impressed with just how easy he was. He was self-assured, but he wasn't arrogant. He was confident, but he wasn't cocky in the bad sense of being cocky. Um, he was a good communicator, very transparent. You know, guys that played with him had said the same thing before. And he was one of those guys when he was playing where people kind of identified him as having some coach-type char- characteristics about him. So I think the fact that he was able to come up in the Hawks system uh, from a coaching standpoint, understand the culture, be in Rockford, understand the culture, see the players, coach some of the young players that are, you know, on the Hawks roster and, you know, have that ability to be able to relate with them. That's a, that's a huge strength. It really is. And to understand today's athlete and how to communicate effectively with them. 
um, especially a lot of the millennials and especially about the fact that our league's younger than it's ever been. So uh, I think those are his strengths for me, not to undermine his hockey IQ or his bench instincts in any shape, but I really love his ability to communicate. And, you know, when you walk into, when you walk into an organization as the head coach, you know, it's one thing to be in the HL as a young head coach. I played with Sheldon Keefe, who's doing that in Toronto with the Marlies for the last three years now. Um, but it's one thing to be a young head coach walking into an original six franchise, but it's another thing when you have a head coach like Q, as I said, that's, you know, the best coach that they've had in the history of their franchise and second winning us all time. That could be really daunting. And I love the way that Jeremy spoke about it. I love the affinity and the respect, which he should have, but that he does have for coach Q and all that the Hawks have done, you know, prior to him coming in behind the bench as a head coach, that goes a long way because that doesn't discredit, uh, Duncan Keith or Siebes or Taze or Kane or any of the other players, Crow doesn't discredit anybody, but you're able to respect them for what they've done, but also be able to now coach them here and now and on a go forward basis and have them buy into what you're doing. In addition to have the, you know, the young guys buy in as well. And you want to create that harmony within the room. You don't want it to ever be divisive where it's us, you know, veteran guys, us winners versus them mid-tier players versus them, young guys versus them. You never want that discord. So those are the strengths for me in, in, uh, in speaking to him and speaking to guys with the Hawks. Um, those are the strengths that he brings to the table. And, you know, I play with Sheldon Keith, with, sorry, with, uh, with Brookie, with Sheldon Brookbank too. And Brookie has done a nice job there being able to be a liaison. So uh, I think that that goes a long way. I think that they've, it was a very hard decision, a very emotional decision, a tough decision one that nobody wants to see made, of course, especially with a guy who's so well-respected and well-liked like Coach Q and as successful as he is. But um, the sport never waits for anybody. There's always succession. That's a part of life and a part of sports. So I think Jeremy's a bright young coach, and he's on the right track right now, and I've got nothing but positive things to say about him. My guest on Lockdown Blackhawks is Kevin Weeks, analyst for the NHL Network. Catch him on NHL tonight before and after games throughout the season nhlnetwork.com for your local channel lift listings um on the on this angle we've seen some other sports around the country major league baseball the nfl start to shift towards younger coaches that have uh played the game recently and i think part of that and, and look in chicago we're seeing it happen now with joe madden being uh let he was let walk after winning a world series mm-hmm. Um, and the thought is they're going to bring in a younger, more recent player to coach. Do you see hockey sort of going in that way where they need someone who's maybe more capable of speaking to this generation of player? I think there's an appetite for that based on some owners and, you know, team presidents and um, senior personnel, C-suite personnel with teams and at the league level and club level that I speak to. So it's a, it has become a bit of a trend and a little bit nouveau, so, so to speak. But at the same time, I'm a big believer in taking the best applicant for the job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't, I'm not a nepotism person, you know, just because somebody lives in New Jersey and I live in New Jersey, that doesn't mean that I want them coaching the Devils if I'm the team president, you know, or I, it doesn't necessarily mean that I want them on the NHL network with us because they played with me. It doesn't work like that. I always believe in having the best candidates, the strongest candidates that are available. And, uh, and in the event they aren't available, at least acquire and see if they are. And bring the, bring the best of the best to the pool and, and make your most informed, most instinctive decision. I think that's kind of the way to do it. But um, we have seen a lot more younger coaches. I think the biggest thing is the game continues to shift. 
and it continues to evolve. And whether you're somebody like Q, who's a more experienced coach, whether you're somebody like Jared Gallant, who's a more experienced coach, or you're, you know, Jeremy Calton as an example, or Dallas Eakins even, um, who's now in Anaheim. No matter who you are, where you fall in that spectrum, you have to be able to, number one, respect the people that work for you. You can't be a belittling type personality as I've had and some of us players have had different coaches or former players and current players have had different head coaches that would belittle people and belittle staff members. And I don't mean holding people accountable, but I just mean just belittling them. So I think the years of that are, are, are fading quickly as they should. You can, uh, you can still hold people to task. You can still have a lot of old school values and do that in a way that's still respectful and lockstep and key with the way the game's played now, the way the players uh, intake information, the way the players process and assimilate that information into their game individually and collectively. So uh, it's nice to see that we have a lot more progression in our game where that's concerned instead of somebody just you know banging on the, on the desk in the office and throwing a bottle of whiskey and being angry. I think that uh, <laughs> our game has evolved <laughs> to the point to where our athletes have evolved and people and, you know, integration of technology and, you know, respecting your staff members. And when players see that and when staff, equipment staff, and everybody sees that like they did from Craig Berube last year, it's amazing what can happen. You know, you guys would know with this generation of Hawks and the three Stanley Cups and the St. Louis Blues, you know, a heated rival of yours, were able to do that last year in a similar fashion for similar reasons. Yeah, and now coaches throw a can of White Claw instead of a bottle of whiskey. That's the new generation. <laughs> yeah, <culture>. exactly. <laughs> yeah, some type of craft beer or something. Exactly. So true. All right, so final true. question I have for you, Kevin Weeks, and thanks so much yeah. for joining us. Follow Kevin on Twitter pleasure, at, at Kevin Weeks. Hawks open their home season uh, at the United Center on Thursday night. The San Jose Sharks come into town 0-4. They're minus 12 in goal differential, but three of those losses against some elite opponents, Nashville and two against Las Vegas. What have you seen from San Jose so far? Are you concerned? And uh, what can Patrick Marlowe bring? It looks like he's going to play tonight for the Sharks. Yeah, it's interesting. We, we broke this down last night on NHL Tonight on the NHL Network, which was interesting in, uh, in our later show. And Tony Luffman, our host, asked me if, if I'd got the panic button, if I'd have my hand on the panic button, if I was a Sharks fan or the Sharks. I'd say no. And, but I would say that my hand's close. Mm-hmm. It's not on the button, but it's around there. It's within reach. <laughs> I would say here's the challenge with the, with the Sharks right now. They've got a ton of character in that locker room. Um, they've got a lot of great pieces. They've gotten younger. Timo Meyer emerged last year, had a tremendous season for them. Sorensen really was a good complimentary piece. I think Kevin LeBanc has a chance to be a DeBrincat type player in terms of his ability to score goals. You know, despite being, you know, maybe a little bit undersized, if people would say, but highly productive offensively. You've got Brent Burns, who's one of Norris. You've got Eric Carlson, who's one too. But to me, Eric Carlson doesn't look like the same player out there. Mm -hmm. He doesn't. And they paid him a lot of money, and he just, which is good. I always like to see people get what they've earned, but he just, right now, he hasn't looked the same. Even in San Jose, as the year went along last year, and Fitz's birth, he did, but he doesn't look like the same player to me. I don't know what it is, but. They need him to be as great as he's capable of being. And then I think their team, like the way their team defends right now, it's sloppy. Like I got three texts from two former teammates of mine and one's in management now. The first thing this morning, like, hey, what's up with the Sharks, man? And I know Doug Wilson's quality, the coaching staff's high quality. Um, and you Chicago fans would obviously, and, and deservedly so, look at Doug Wilson for the great player and person that he is and great GM that he is, but 
being a former Hawk, a longtime Hawk. But the challenge with their team now on ice is they're just they're just too disjointed in terms of how they defend. They can attack. They've got a lot of weapons, but they don't defend with that intensity right now. And there's just way too much racetrack through the middle of the ice. Like Nashville carved them up. It was just kind of open season. And as a result, Marty Jones doesn't quite look like himself either, too, which is a combination of what's in front of him and a combination of him just not playing at the same level either. So if you want to win in this league, as much as you want to attack and you guys love Showtime and Patty Kane and, you know, the dynamic way that the Hawks used to play, watch the way Jonathan Taves plays, watch the way that, you know, Marion Hulsa used to play. You look at what Duncan Keith, Seabrook, like those Hawks teams that have won, it's not like those guys weren't blocking shots or back-checking. You know, they played hard. And the St. Louis Blues played hard. I've been, uh, that's my, I've been in 11th Stanley Cup final, one as a player and 10 as an analyst now. And I see the same thing. The teams that get there are the teams that are willing to pay the price and they're willing to play hard on both sides of the puck, especially defensively, especially, you know, at even strength defensively or on a penalty kill. They relish that. You know, they relish shutting teams down. Boston was a more dynamic team than St. Louis was last year. Make no mistake about it. But St. Louis was willing to pay the ultimate price to scale Mount Kilimanjaro to get the Stanley Cup. That's, that, that's the difference. They had a little extra. And that's what got them there. And in Game 7, being in the building and calling the game, that was the difference. It really was. Jordan Bennington stood on his head. He was magic in the net. The guys were blocking shots. They did all the little things. So that's my challenge with San Jose right now. A lot of those elements in terms of how hard they play without the puck and their coverage and their D-zone positioning and stuff is off kilter right now. Kevin, thank you so much for your time. A great extended interview. My awesome pleasure. content. Very much appreciate it. Catch Kevin Weeks on NHL tonight on NHL Network before and after every game. Thanks so much for your time, Kevin. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jay. Thank you, man. appreciate you having me on. And Maybe you could ship a Giordano's deep dish pizza to our studios and uh, at MLB NHL Network here in Jersey. Maybe we could make that happen. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Thanks so much, much for having me on. And thanks to the Hawks fans, too. Appreciate you. Kevin Weeks of NHL Network. Make sure you catch him on NHL tonight before and after games throughout the season. Visit NHLnetwork.com for your local channel listings. Really interesting stuff. Kevin was really generous with his time. Very much appreciate that. Hopefully we can catch up with him as the season goes on. Wanted to get a guy who knew goalies on because I think that's going to be a big part of the Blackhawks season going forward is that workload with Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard. But that's going to do it for this extended version. Long episode today of Lockdown Blackhawks. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Blackhawks. Send me an email at LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. That voicemail number 708-653-0572. And when we talk on Friday... The Hawks will have finally played another game. We'll have a game to react to. Cannot wait to drop the puck tonight with the Sharks, and hopefully the Hawks get skate away with their first win of the season and the Sharks fall further back in the standings 0-5. Oof, that would be a rough start. Anyway, thanks for listening to Lockdown Blackhawks, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.